Carden. Blair. Episode. I'm not even going to tell you. What is it, Carden? One eight. <laughs> I knew I'd get it. I knew I'd get you, it. Well, yeah, 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 you scurvy dog. You got it. You got yeah, it. Yep. 18? 18. 18. I knew it. You know, back, right on. We, thinking back on episode 12, you just go, man, you know, and then you think back, <laughs> episode four, <laughs> you know what I mean? We've grown. Where we, man have we grown man have we grown uh yeah so buddy uh i haven't talked to you for a week uh yeah. how's life just great yeah it's excellent uh work was a little bit worky this week but it was still good and actually we're, we've got a vacation coming up so i'm excited uh what are you doing for the vacation going back to the midwest to the heart to see my family wow. yep we're looking forward looking forward to nice it. now are you flying or are you gonna drive we're flying yep Oh, nice. Flying. Okay. We both been Any, vaccinated up to this point, Jen and I. I was going to say, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so you had both, you had both vaccinations? We've had both, have both been through both um, shots. Yep. Oh, nice. Yeah. Good. Well, yeah. that will be so much fun. Yeah. We're really looking forward to it. Yeah. And you're taking the boys, I assume. Taking the boys. They're going to see me, mom, papa, and then my, <laughs> my siblings and aunts and the uh, all the nephews. We'll see how the plane goes. The last time we did it, it was yeah. uh, it wasn't terrible. They did pretty good. So we're batting 50 50 because the time before that, when Mark was smaller, he had multiple pukes all over me. Ooh, were they screaming? Uh, you know, uh, yeah, the ride back was bad for the, the last one. We had the one ride that was back where Jenna was like eight months pregnant and uh, Mark was just a little guy eight months basically and oh. he was not having a good time and then i also thought we were gonna lose uh jenna because she was having a t- it was a it was a turbulent ride and things were it was it was it, that was a bad flight i'll never forget that one it was a bad one <laughs> it but sounds we made bad it. i wasn't oh, even it was there terrible. it was terrible yeah well uh speaking of your lovely wife jenna carden who is our guest tonight yes uh uh round of applause please from everyone blair we have don't Jenna. You, don't you introduce first and then well, the applause? No, I wanted her to walk into applause. Oh, my, okay. my beautiful wife, Jenna Moore. <laughs> I'll have to cue the applause. There Welcome, we go. Jenna. We nailed it that time. Thank you so much. Thank you for, uh, you know, not being able to find anyone else to interview except. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. You're not. La- no, no. <laughs> no. We have a we have a strong list of potential guests, Jenna. Yes. You just you just budged your way right to the top. Yeah, <laughs> well, we I appreciate the sure experience. That we had a ton of practice before we brought somebody on like you. We wanted to make sure that we were up to your level. Wow, that's right. We don't want to blow this, Jenna. Wow, Jenna, do you, you remember that flight? <sighs> yes, I'll never forget that flight. I really didn't think. I thought maybe we we're gonna have yeah, that baby it, on the plane. Eight months pregnant and having yep. another child with a meltdown. I don't know many moms that would ever forget. That well, part. that was, I don't even know if that was the worst part. We had, we ended up flying into Bozeman. I think this is a flight card. We oh flew into Bozeman. We got there yeah, at midnight. Uh, yep. Mark, our oldest was, cause our, our kids are back to back. They're year apart. Mark was like seven, eight months about to have Kessler. So we got into Bozeman, finally made it. We couldn't believe we made it. And then we had to drive back to Helena. This is at midnight. And we yeah. <laughs> we hit the worst blizzard of the season on the way back. So we got back to Helena about three in the morning that day. 
So nice. that trip was just bad on bad on bad. <laughs> it was. It was like we uh. we finally made it in. Yeah, like Jenna said, the worst blizzard I've ever driven in. It was white knuckle, complete whiteout conditions. We were going five miles per hour on the highway for probably forty five minutes, and it took a an hour and a half ride and made it into a three hour ride. We got Ugh. back at three a.m. That's a that's a trip from hell. Okay, <laughs> I'm just telling you. No, tell tell no more. I, I yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so. Carden, why don't you tell our uh, listening audience why Jenna was invited? Yes. Okay. Jenna, um, not only is she beautiful and incredibly intelligent, but she is also an LCPC, um, which is a licensed clinical professional counselor. Yes. And we've got to, uh, we've got to learn a lot from Jenna. Uh, yeah, and and Jenna, I, just go ahead and you. Why don't you tell us about the scope of your practice and and what you do? Sure. Okay. Uh, well, thanks again for letting me come on and visit with you guys. Uh, it was yeah. really fun to listen to you both visit on different topics, and uh, I was actually kind of looking forward tonight a little bit because you had mentioned some things about uh, the legalization of marijuana and anxiety and things like that and how uh, how our body responds with nutrition and all those things, which is something I'm also very interested in. Uh, but that put aside, I guess, as far as myself, uh, didn't get started in private practice, uh, started off as a CSCT therapist and then worked my way into integrative behavioral health which is just a fancy way of uh, saying someone that works within a clinic that evaluates someone's behavioral health needs. Um, kind of a, a new thing for Montana. Like the West Coast has kind of got it figured out a little bit more than we do as far as integrative health. And uh, Montana's just really spun into it the last couple of years. So having patients come in and okay, say, okay, what's the physical symptoms, okay, are there any behavioral or, or um, mental health symptoms that we need to be aware of and kind of coordinating with that. So, that was really fun. I, I worked a lot with postpartum families, maternal and paternal mental health. Um, really loved that, but had always been driven towards the idea of anxiety, perfectionism, neurological type responses. So, decided to um, go off on my own um, and really, really glad I did. So that's what I do now. I specialize in anxiety disorders and I also work with couples and that's another specialty of mine is, uh, Gottman based therapy for couples. Oh, wow. Yeah. That, so you, uh, fascinating. you've got some great, great stories to tell, I'm sure. <laughs> oh yeah. Probably a lot about me, but, um, to, 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 to jump right in, I'm, I'm going to start picking your brain. Cause we have these, of course, have these conversations all the time. But I, what I find so fascinating is the, um, is the generalized anxiety, the, the multiple different kind of levels of anxiety, but also the, what you've kind of told me about, um, the, the body's physical response to, to anxiety and it's stuff that I had never even really thought about. I know that we have talked um, on here before about my kind of anxiety, but the, the physical aspects of the, uh, of, of kind of the anxiety that I have is something I never really even thought of until kind of we started to, to discuss it. So. Hello, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> Carden, are you there? 
I'm here too. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was a, I think that was a lead into a question. Is that right, Gordon? Yeah, that was a, what did I blip it? <laughs> it just kind of left everybody hanging. We're like, well, that was a great I'm intro. Sorry, Gordon. I got but, anxious. <laughs> <laughs> so I think what Carton was trying to say, Jenna, is he wants you to talk about the physical manifestations of anxiety. Oh, thank you so much, Blair. That makes so much sense. <laughs> I see. You guys are going to gang up on me. No, I knew that I shouldn't have no. done that. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I thought the I thought the power got cut off. I'm like, what just happened? No, I thought. No. Uh, okay. I, see, my okay. problem was I started with the question and then filled in all the details after. I need to remember. To <laughs> it do sounded the more like a statement. <laughs> you just, Anyways, you just think our relationship is so strong that I would be able to know what you were going to say. That's right. That's exactly what I thought. That's exactly. I did what not, I unfortunately. Um, yeah, I was going to say it said you, the, you thought the power got cut out. It wouldn't be as, the first time. as evident by the pause, uh, she, wasn't, yeah, she wasn't with you on that one. Okay, but I know where you're going. Okay, that that's kind of a that's a broad uh, statement slash question, but I I kind of know where you're going. So. It depends on the type of anxiety disorder that you are working with. Okay, there, so I'm going to just kind of give you the umbrella of anxiety disorders, just so you're aware. 101. Yeah. Uh, generalized anxiety disorder you're talking about, Cardin, is kind of like that everyday kind of constant worry. If you have it for more than six months, um, and it's more pertained to like getting to work on time, you know, social situations, like being irritable all the time, those types of things, more of a generalized anxiety. Uh, if you are working with panic disorder, that is completely, um, body responsive. So you might not think that you're worried about anything and your body is responding like sweating, you know, stomach issues, heart palpitations, you know, the common panic attack. Um, let's see, what else do I work with? Um, OCD disorder, um, obsessive compulsive disorder is under the umbrella of anxiety. Um, I work with quite a few clients with that where there's just this compulsive nature this desire to have control in an area that kind of uh in your mind prevents you from harm and then let's see there's a couple other ones too uh of course ptsd post-traumatic stress disorder is another big one under that umbrella so all of those have components of that body response some just a little bit more uh, apparent than others obviously so, so Jen, in the case of like PTSD, yeah, um, you people can a lot of times link the 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 trauma or the traumatization to a certain event. They can they can kind of pinpoint an an episode or a, an event that happened. With the other ones, is is it more of a genetic thing, or is there a causation with those as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, genetics can play a part. Um, the type of therapy that I use with my clients is based on cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, without getting t- too boring or nerdy, it's trying to figure out the components and contributors that you have towards a belief system, right? Which ignites the type of feelings and thoughts you have, which becomes so cyclical that it becomes part of the functioning of the brain and the body. So let me just give you a, kind of an example. Right. Sure. So let's say, and this is pretty extreme, so I apologize. If someone was sexually abused as a child, right, their core belief system might be, I'm only to be used for my body, or our core belief might be, 
no one really loves me. They just want my body. Okay. So what that does is it makes automatic thoughts, right? Maybe someone later in their life is interested in them for who they are as a person. But because of that history, their brain will say, they just want you for your body or you cannot trust their love, right? Is that mm-hmm. true? Well, no, but because of that core belief, it's going to prevent me from moving forward at that, okay, which causes anxiety or depression or whatever feeling you want to go by. And then the behavior, I'm going to avoid relationships. I'm going to not trust men or women, right? And then it becomes this constant cycle. So if I'm working with a client on breaking that cycle with CBT, I'm going to have them understand the contributors, their core beliefs, and where we need to break the system. Interesting. Uh-huh. So it sounds like still in, in these cases, even though like maybe with um, PTSD type situations, there's very defined, distinct moments that can bring back or that have causes PTSD, there is still predominantly in most cases trauma that ends up um, kind of manifesting itself into these um, general um, anxieties. Is that typically the case? Not necessarily, actually. So we'll just give a really easy example. Okay. Let's say I grew up on a ranch. Okay. Which I did. Okay. And you fall down and someone says, get up. That didn't hurt. Right. Like consistently, maybe, maybe part of your culture or part of how you were raised was, you know, we don't cry. We don't fuss. We don't have feelings, right? We just keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. That's not traumatic. And honestly has probably some pretty good intentions. However, the core belief system from that might be, you know, I shouldn't be sad. I shouldn't cry. I shouldn't, you know, have feelings about this or whatever it might be. So if that's part of your core belief system, it could easily morph itself into, you know, something bad happens to you and you don't allow yourself to express emotions. Mm-hmm. Right. And then as a result of that, then you're, you're feeling anxiety about feeling sad because you know, you shouldn't be feeling sad because of your core beliefs. Right. It's, there's so many layers to it. Um, but that, you know, that generalized anxiety more is, this constant awareness or protective nature, right? And that's kind of what I'm talking about before is let's say we've ran into a bear on a a trail before, right? It's scary. It's a bad experience. Okay. Let's say the bear is taken away completely. Like the bear's gone to bear jail. It's never coming back. And we go on that trail. We're going to always assume no matter what, that there's a bear on the trail, even if we know that it's gone. So that's what anxiety is, is, kind of this worst case scenario thinking, this hypervigilance, this ability to put yourself into the anxious position so that you're prepared for it. So I, you know, in Cardinal, I've talked about this quite a bit where he's talked about having some anxiety in his past. And I, I can't really recall having, you know, growing up having anxiety, but I, I remember one thing happened as an adult. Um, we were having our house remodeled. And it was a pretty extensive remodel. The guy had torn off a lot of the roof. And at night when he would leave, he would always make sure to tarp it. Well, one night he assured me that it was, it was in the summer. He said, oh, it's, it's not going to rain. He left it untarped. 
a thunderstorm comes in. We wake up in the middle of the night to the sound of water rushing through our ceiling. Okay. And next thing you know, I'm in boxer shorts up on my roof with lightning blasting all over wind. How, I mean, it was just, it was a torrential rainstorm. I'm in boxer shorts and slippers trying to get this tarp on. Okay. And we ended up getting it and, you know, but it took months before whenever I'd hear rain, I would wake up thinking, that was happening. And, and, you know, and I, I was over it, you know, as soon as we got everything cleaned up, he kind of settled down, but apparently my subconscious was not over it because I woke up many, many times thinking I heard water or if it was raining outside, I was sure my brain said, we've got a, you know, you've got a problem. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, would that be kind of a, a light dose PTSD or is it just a, I mean, obviously it went away and I haven't dealt with it, but it, it really, I mean, it lasted for months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You were presented with a situation that was quote unquote harmful to you <laughs> in a, you know, a generalized way. Um, or it was not, not ideal. Right. So in order to prevent that, your body and your mind is going to be a little bit more prepared than it was before. But, but Jenna, would that be kind of categorized as a PTSD thing? I mean, you have this event that happens. I don't mean to compare it with things more extreme, but it's the only one I can personally relate to where I had an event and there was kind of this long lasting residue that because of that, I mean, is that essentially the same kind of thing? Yeah, you know, I wouldn't or, I wouldn't categorize it under PTSD, um, but yes, I think within under that more like broad part of anxiety, I, I wouldn't put that maybe under a diagnosis of any means, but that a little bit more of awareness, right? That little bit more of a fear response about something. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely a fear response. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it was like, yeah, it was, and, and the way it happened, you, we shot up in bed. I mean, it was a, it was a very, yeah. And my wife screaming, you know, like, oh my God, you know, nobody knew what happened. It was lightning and it was yeah. crazy. And you, you, like I said, you yeah. hear this water just pouring through your roof and you're like, <laughs> here's the uh, other part, yeah, Blair. I think that is for the body response, right? Like you hear, you hear that your body responded to it. It was an event that was uncomfortable right? And our body does that. In fact, they talk a lot about trauma and how our body, quote unquote, keeps score. There's actually a book called The Body Keeps Score that's um, tailored for psychologists. But the idea remains that even if we're not cognizantly aware of what's going on with us, our body is so influenced by the neurological system that it will it will remember. So, even if you hear a tone or if you feel something that's similar, your body feels something that's similar, it will, it can respond. In fact, it, it does generally. Hmm. Yeah. That's that interesting. That, that, that reminds me of what you talked about as one of the kind of the um, sections under the umbrella of anxiety are people. And I want you to go further into this because it's interesting to me that people can, will say they, they are not feeling anxious. They're feeling fine. They're totally at calm yet their body is having an anxiety response. So what is kind of, what are the, what are the responses that the body can, can go through mm -hmm. physically? You mean as far as, as far as panic? Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, the typical ones that we think of, you know, heart palpitations, sweating, trembling, you know, feeling like you can't breathe, 
feeling like there's some sort of impending doom or things that are out of control. The hard part with panic disorder, which kind of even intensifies is that people are like, I don't know what's wrong, right? Which makes it even more scary for them because within anxiety, we want to have as much control as possible. Um, in fact, I have some clients I work with that they deal with what's called agoraphobia, um, which is actually a fear of having panic. They've had a panic disorder before, I mean, sorry, a panic attack before, and they're so in tune from their body of how that felt that they're in constant fear of repeating the anxiety attack. So their body will be responsive and then their mind will get connected with that. And for some of them, it's really hard to turn it off and they have persis persistent anxiety attacks. Oh, wow. So is there, is there any times when you're um, w with people that are, are kind of have, having the physical responses, but not having the, the kind of um, understanding of where it's coming from that after kind of being able to talk with them, you can pinpoint like, this is actually, actually like where your anxieties come from, or this is actually what you're anxious about, which is what is causing this physical reaction. Absolutely. So a lot of those clients or even my couples, couples that you see are having difficulty with those symptoms. The first thing that you do is you help them regulate the, um, the system of their body, right? So progressive muscle relaxation is something I work with my clients on a lot. Deep breathing, grounding exercises. Um, some of those are some, the, the, the ones we usually go to so that we can regulate the body system down to a normalized level. Or I guess, I guess in the couples therapy world, we call it physio physiological um, self-soothing. We teach them how to bring their bodies down to a level where they can have more cognitive awareness of what the contributors are towards that panic. Wow. That, yeah. That's, and, and you've done some of those exercises with me and it's interesting how, <laughs> um, uh, well, truly it's interesting how much you, you don't realize how much even stress you're carrying around. And this is coming from a guy that, you know, it's probably self-proclaimed, um, has anxiety, but you don't realize how much kind of anxiousness you're consistently carrying around until you go through one of those. And even just doing the shoulders, you kind of go, wow. Okay. Now my shoulders are finally relaxed. I don't know what I've been so, so anxious about. And we were actually talking right before this about, um, that you live with anxiety for so long. Like in, in my case, that it just is so normal that it's hard for me to even think, um, like you Blair, where you can't really think about, um, even ha having anxiety or something like that. I think I've become so just used to like the physical and the, um, the thought process around anxiety that it's just kind of been a part of, of my day-to-day -day basis. So I don't even, I don't even know if I even would realize that it would be happening. So what are, I guess my question is, what are, um, some symptoms of just like generalized anxiety, like physical symptoms? Yes. So as far as that persistent anxiety goes, the generalized anxiety, a lot of Actually, a lot of adults don't seem to recognize it as strong until they're in kind of their um, middle age years. So I have a lot of clients that'll be in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and it'll be really pronounced with them, right? Just feeling very, very uh, hyper aware of everything around them, feeling like they want to have control in areas, um, 
kind of trying to be one step ahead of everything, right? Like, oh my gosh, this is going to happen. I need to prepare myself for that. Like, if I don't do this, this is going to happen. Whether or not it's it's cognizant of for yourself or not, like your body is constantly telling you that you need to respond. So, <laughs> the funny thing is a lot of times you won't know that you're dealing with it, like tightness of muscles or um, feeling intense exhaustion, right? Um, Mm -hmm. or having trouble sleeping. In fact, a lot of people will go in to see a doctor and they get frustrated because a lot of doctors will say, okay, we ran ran all your your things, you're good. It might be psychosomatic. And people struggle with that because they're like, okay, well, that doesn't make sense because my body is really like I feel really off and that's that's how I'm, I'm impacting stress and anxiety can be and how unrecognized it can be uh, if it's persistent. Don't know if that answers your question though. No, that's yeah, that that's the completely and that and that's exactly the case. I think um, a lot of people a long time would not even um, think about generalized anxiety, how much it's actually affecting them or even have the ability to kind of get to a place where they diagnose and go, you know, maybe this is something I have as general anxiety. Exactly. And you nailed it. It's nothing that I would have thought of until um, I've really, this probably last four or five years where I kind of went, you know, maybe not everybody, not everybody like uh, does the things that I do to try to overcome the anxiety that sometimes I feel on a day-to-day basis. So yeah, no, that's, yeah. And if, I mean, we we kind of do an assessment for people when they come in, like, are you easily fatigued? Are you having a hard time remembering things? Do you feel like it's hard to control your worry most of the time? You know, are you, are you feeling restless or on edge? Are you irritable? Or do you have any, like, sense of, like, a sense of anger quite frequently? Those are pretty good indicators that you struggle. If you, if this is kind of a daily thing for you, that you struggle with generalized anxiety. So, and that brings up a good point because everything you just listed, wouldn't you say everybody experiences that at some point mm-hmm. in their life? Yeah. The difference being daily. Yeah. Right. I mean, is, is that's what I'm getting. So it is completely normal to have those feelings and to feel anxious occasionally. But what Cardin is, you know, explaining and what I hear you saying, Jenna, is when it becomes a daily or a consistent repeating scenario that is uh an anxiety disorder yeah so or possibly i mean you're leading down that road yeah so if you're having it more days than not for over six months at a time um they can morph itself into that anxiety disorder and then of course if you don't treat it it can morph itself into um symptoms of depression or more panic type disorders or obsessive compulsive so when we were working with i say we a lot i meant me like when i was working with <laughs> I do that time. let's talk about multiple me and my yes no kidding Blair. Um, <laughs> um but when i was working with with moms okay in the in the pregnancy stage and you recognize some of these symptoms right and it's persistent throughout the entire pregnancy, guess what? They have the baby and they don't take care of themselves. A lot of them that struggle with anxiety, like no sleeping, a lot of them won't eat. Like they're just hyper, like this is the first time they've had a baby. They're super stressed, right? It's, it becomes super dangerous to the point where, you know, there's some, some women, and I guess in some men, but mostly women that can develop almost a, um, Psych- psychotic state if, if it's left untreated because a lot of these moms they're not sleeping anyway 
because they're taking care of a baby, right? They have this this intense anxiety, and it can just really be very, very dangerous. Well, now, and that was something when you mentioned, I, I, I have a question regarding your, your work with postpartum depression, is how important do you think professionally it is that you're a woman dealing with those issues with other women? Because just from my perspective, from a, from a guy's perspective, I could learn the science, but I don't think I could ever relate on their level with those types of things. So, so Jenna, in your profession, is that an instance where it is very beneficial to be a woman dealing with those other women? Uh, you know, I, I think it definitely can be helpful, but to be honest, as long as there's someone that can help them understand that they're not crazy, that this is normal, that this like lets them know the signs and symptoms that can hear them, that can, you know, try to understand where they're at. Honestly, the need is so high that I don't think uh, being a man or a woman makes a big difference. I mean, it definitely can help in the relatedness, but Mm -hmm. the need is so great. So anywhere that people can receive help, I think they're taking it. Okay. Good point. Good point. Cause that, that, you know, I don't know much about it, but that would be, obviously we have three kids and I watched my wife deal with each pregnancy and, and fortunately, you know, th- there really wasn't, but you know, I know that, um, she was counseled on a couple of the pregnancies by the doctor and they, on what to watch for. And also the hormones, um, mm-hmm. have a lot to do with it too. Um, from what, what we were told is you have this massive rush of hormones related to, um, being pregnant and childbirth and, so, I mean, there's just a lot happening within their body and, you know, they, I don't, I don't think they really understand what all is going on. And then you, you talk about sleep deprivation and nutritional, you know, deficiencies, and I can see how it would really get out of control very quickly. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, just a lot going on in general, but I, I agree with you too, Blair, that as the, the kind of counterparts of being being the husband is that it's such a it's such a, a different experience for us um that it's it is hard to kind of to relate through that entire thing which actually comes into a, a good segue into your you know your other um expertise is is the the couples counseling portion so do you um counsel a lot of kind of new of couples that are new parents and do you see a lot of um kind of maybe conflict or um or tension as a result of that of of being parents for the first time oh totally so i would say that i want to say that 40 percent of the clients that i work with whether it's individual or as a couple are going through what we call adjustment right a pretty simple word actually but you're going through a life change or a decision or something has happened to you that you really haven't been, you know, through before and you're having a strong emotional or neurological response to it. So I have a lot of people that come in, whether it's a job change or it's having their first baby or it's, you know, someone in their family has passed away, these types of things and how it can really mess with with them because they they just don't have that con- control piece. So yes, as far as couples go, I would say that uh, honestly, I would say probably forty percent of the couples that I see um, are new parents. Wow, 
I mean, that's that's significant. That's a lot. That's more yeah. And if you think about it, it. Um, I mean, and you tell me if I'm I'm right or wrong, but you know, it kind of makes sense as we have just been been through it ourselves. There's all of a sudden a um, a no longer having ability to kind of focus on each other's needs, and there's just such a massive um, shift and uh, and responsibilities, and even just day to day that it's pretty, I think it's pretty easy to, um, lose focus on the relationship and, and I'm sure that there's can, can be, um, conflict as a result. Definitely. And what's interesting is quite a few of the people that I see are going through a different adjustment with kids. Like I have quite a few that their, their children have now grown, right? They're, and they're leaving the house and they're kind of becoming empty nesters. And oh yeah, they say, they look at each other and say, Oh crap. <laughs> you, you know, for lack of better words, like, um, but I, I say that with comic relief, but, but seriously having, having given themselves to their families, um, for so long. And a lot of these couples, um, get to the point where they have to readjust to, to connection with each other. And, and that can be very difficult as far as adjustment goes for them too. So, I mean, definitely the new, new parents is a, is a part of, of the couples that I see, but there's also a lot of other adjustments, uh, like those too. Okay. Carden, I have, uh, I want to do something. I want Jenna to grade us, uh, Carden, between you and I, let's guess. Okay. Okay. Because I, I have in my mind the top four, the top four reasons, uh, couples argue or get divorced. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, okay. So I'm going to say, first of all, money. Yeah, for What's sure. That was right away my number one money. Uh, oh, uh, kids. Okay. Number two. Okay, kids. Um, I'm going to say sex or lack thereof. Okay. okay. What's your uh, last guess? Oh, I, I, I've got to say, blah, 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 blah. oh, probably uh, in, in, infidelity. It's got to be. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Jenna, how do we do? Ah, pretty good. Not too bad. Uh, those are definitely, part, <laughs> those are definitely part of the conversations we have in my office. Uh, this is really cool. So John and Julie Gottman, uh, they're, you know, pretty amazing, intelligent people that put together this type of therapy that I kind of just been drawn to, not at that it's the the right one or the only one by any means. But what I like about their work is they've studied super cool. They've they've literally kind of put these people in petri dish, dishes, but they've studied couples over years and years and years, like fifty years, and kind of seen their interactions and seen the things they dealt with, and they were able to to say, okay, we're going to, we're going to assume that these, this couple from what we've been watching the last, you know, two years, five years, are they going to stay together or not? And they were like 90% accurate on the ones that would stay together. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is crazy. Wow. So now, okay. So, so based on what Carter and I were guessing, go back to that. So, so there, there must be statistics Okay, I'm not not even just in your practice, but there must be statistically, nationally, or globally, reasons uh, couples divorce, or or let's, I, I, and I don't know if if divorce has to be the culmination, or just 
that cause a lot of stress in marriages. Um, so, I mean, offhand, do you know the top few? You know, I don't know if there's the top, but I'm going to tell, I'll tell you what the, the people that come into CB generally what the issues are and see if some of those correlate, right? Uh, difficulty with communication and connection. Okay. I think, so I'm thinking primary, I think you guys are thinking secondary. If you can't connect emotionally, if you can't communicate, sometimes that leads to, right, difficulty with oh, finances, right. sure. diffi- oh, okay. difficulty with yeah, agreement, yeah. infidelity, right? So you're right. saying we're, yeah. we're talking the effect and you're saying what's the, what's the cause? Okay, I'm, I'm with you. But I'm yeah, no, I think generally you guys have, have the right ideas as far as the things that are more probably more triggering for a couple that come up. You know, right. infidelity right. is definitely a big one. Um, yes, finances, sex, those are, those are definitely part of there. Um, but I, I, I guess my brain just keeps going back to what happens before that, right? Trust issues, commitment issues, communication issues, those types of things. What, what about just good old honesty? I mean, do, do you, yeah. so, so there's gotta be a breakdown in trust, I would assume. Cause I, I've always held trust as, you know, it's in, and not just in a, a relationship with a man and wife, but even, you know, when I was a coach, you know, trust is a big, big thing for me. So when you lose that trust and, you know, that, that kind of, in my mind would shake the ground, the, the whole foundation that, that a, a marriage or relationship is built on. Correct. Definitely. So the two foundation walls of a, of a healthy relationship, according to these gurus, is commitment and trust. If those two okay. are if those two are sound, the other things can be worked on, right? You can still fight like like dogs and cats, right? But if you still, at the end of the day, you trust each other, you're committed to each other, it's a lot easier to work on those other things. However, if if you don't feel like your partner's committed to you. It really doesn't matter how much communication work we can do in couples therapy, unless that's yeah, what I think that's, that's super interesting, especially when you think about the kind of the social factors and culturally what's happening right now. That that we are kind of in a, a kind of a social, I wouldn't say movement, but in a social place where nobody feels like they should be committed to anything. It almost seems like, yeah, you know, it, it seems like it's, um, it, there's ever at a time, even in, you know, in the workplace, people are changing jobs more frequently than they ever have in the past. Um, there's really no such thing as brand loyalty anymore. I mean, even those little subtle things have to trickle into where, um, just the commitment in, in general is, is kind of degrading, I would assume. Yeah. And I, you know, I, do have a lot of clients that come in and be like, we just can't agree on finances. We just, you know, this person doesn't get it. Like, you know, we do not have sex anymore. Those types of things. I like, kind of like you're talking about, but we have to stop and then look at the perpetual issues, like what's happening underneath. Right. And a part, a great part of Gottman's work is where can we find understanding the perspective of the other person, even if we don't agree with it. And is there a mutual respect within that? If not, if there's never going to be mutual respect on that perspective, then yes, a lot of divorce will happen with those those secondary, I guess, uh, uh, those secondary, you know, results. So well, when you say, it, 
mutual sorry but i just want to hit on this for a second mutual respect what do you mean when you say that Uh, so you're saying that even if there's differences in opinion i'm still like respecting where you're coming from your opinion or at least respecting your ability to voice that opinion is that kind of what you mean by that let me give you an example. Oh, should, oh, I, should, oh, okay. I, should I do a personal example? Hmm. Nope, don't do it. Nope, <laughs> yes. nope. Do. Uh, I'm, do, I'm getting really do. anxious. Please I'm getting do. super anxious. I'm getting very okay. anxious. You don't have my wife on the phone, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Nikki, why don't you come on out here? Oh, oh no, no, no. no. <laughs> Let's do a live session. Um, okay, so I'm going to give you an example because I this can, stuff can be a little bit confusing. Let's say one of one person is coming home late from work every night right and the other person's left home with the kids and it's stressful they're trying to get things done this is pretty persistent um the person comes home from work right and the partner's ready to blow right the reactionary is like you don't care about us you're never here right you don't want anything to do with our family yada 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 okay if i have mutual respect this is the rule of thumb okay respect him or her respect myself and speak in love and kindness right so my partner walks through the door and i say hey i know that work's been really stressful right i know you've been spending a lot of time there it's got to be hard to be away from us okay respecting them respect myself I also recognize that this is very difficult for me and I really need some support. What are your thoughts on how we can make this better? Wow. Listen, I was late for work <laughs> one day. One day. I mean, it was barely five minutes. Uh, yeah, I'm not buying it, Card. <laughs> I'm not buying it. I want to know how Cardin handled that. <laughs> Cardin is very no, conflict-oriented. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Super conflict oriented. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, no. I and see, uh, I love when I hear examples of that. I love it because I, I feel like it is true. In a real life situation, we all would strive. I mean, I'd love to be able to handle conflict like that. And I sometimes I'm pretty good about it. But there's just that emotional when, you know, I'm I'm a person, I don't like conflict. But when I'm attacked, I go into a defense mode, you know, and, and, and I know that that's counterproductive and you can, you can rationally say after that was probably not the best way to handle that, but you know, it, it is, it's hard in the moment, you know, to back up and say, okay, now there's rules to this, you know? And, and I, I I mean, it's gotta be something you practice all the time, right, Jen? I mean, you just little steps because if you have that proverbial couple that fights like cats and dogs, Are are they ever going to be like what you just described? <laughs> it takes a lot of practice, and it's never perfect, right? So let's let's take the typical example, maybe of someone yelling at their partner, like "You never help around the house," and the immediate reaction of the other person is, "Yes, I do. I clean all the bathrooms. What are you talking about?" Right? Defensiveness mm-hmm. right away, right? So when we're talking about respecting the other person and their perspective, right? It takes a lot of gumption and a lot of what is self-soothing, that physiological self-soothing to stop and say, hey, I can understand why you might think that I'm not helping with the house because there's stuff everywhere, right? But I do try. What can we do to make this better? Mm Mm-hmm. 
it, and it's got to be one of those things that you it's it's like habit for me right mm-hmm. so much of communication is that that you have to you literally have to stop and breathe and think about it and form the habit of communicating that way because yeah exactly like you said Blair I think we're all kind of um, I shouldn't say we're all, but I think a lot of us have that natural tendencies to kind of communicate in a very reactive way without the kind of the cognizant that goes on behind it. Cause it's just, I, I wouldn't say it's easier, but it's just kind of, I think part of it's kind of human nature it takes a lot to change that, that habit. Do you, do you see, um, couples, um, succeeding in it or, and, and how does it kind of, how does it kind of look like? Are they yelling at each other? Like, <laughs> I understand where you're coming from and I respect you so much. <laughs> but if you would simply pull your head out of your ass, maybe you would see my point of view. You're right. Yeah. You're right. I can see it. Uh, you see, I, yeah. Yeah. That sounds very yeah, productive. Right. That, that's, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and a lot of it for me, and this is, I, 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 this is said in my marriage a lot. It's not what you say, it's how you mm-hmm. say it, you know? So in a lot of, you know, if, if you replay a conversation and if you just got the, you know, the text of what was said, you go, oh, that didn't sound so bad. But what you're missing are the looks, the inflections, the, you know, and, and that, that has a lot to do with it a lot of times. And that's what sets you off. You know, you look at somebody and they ask you a, you know, yeah. a, an innocent question. It's asked in such a way that it's, you know, it's not innocent. Totally. It's very Totally. It's passive aggressive. And that's yeah. why that last part is, oh, try to speak in love. And here's the part, the fun, fun part is you, you can't always do that. So if you're able to, you do that physiological self-soothing where you say, okay, I need to go calm down so that I can speak in love. And if I can't, then I'm not there yet. Right. Yeah. And take a break and come back. Uh, I, I just... I just think about kind of exactly what you said, Blair, about even looking at our, our sons as an example, right? Mm-hmm. So they will just now be three and four. But at this point in their life, our three-year-old, Kesser, knows so well how to drive Mark crazy. And it's just with subtleties of communication and little things <laughs> that he does. And Mark absolutely loses his mind. Now we're talking about a three and four-year-old. Think about what it's like for couples that have been together for 25 you know, 25, 30 years. How oh yeah. They yeah have, you know. <laughs> I was going to say, they, it doesn't take really at some point they're probably the words don't matter at all because they know exactly what they're doing, which is the inflections and the looks. And it can be um, just as uh, communicated just as effectively that way than with the actual words. <laughs> yeah. You don't, you, I think you get to the point where you don't have to say a word. It's implied a look, yeah. you look yeah. at the dishes, look at the person <laughs> it's implied. You, know, you don't have yeah. to ask what did you do today that you were so busy you couldn't wash those dishes now can you look at people in love that's something that we gotta teach now now i need to look at you with respect and i need you to look at me with love that's what i do i know some of the and some of the stuff when you say it out loud it seems so it almost seems artificial in a way like unorganic right um and it honestly when you first start doing it it totally is because our, our natural instinct and reaction is to not do that. So it really is kind of like we are self-disciplined to take care of our bodies and take care of ourselves. You know what I mean? It's as far as the health, the relationship, that has to be kind of something that we at least attempt to do on a more regular basis than not to promote the health of the relationship. Not saying it's going to always happen or that it's going to be as you know nice sounding as I did in the examples. But Right, right. 
Yeah. So, so Jenna, I have a question. Yeah. Um, in, in couples therapy, uh, and this could be the man or the woman, but have you found very often that one of them is kind of a taker and the other one is the giver? And it's very off balance, but the, the, the one party that carries the majority just chooses not to have any conflicts. So they just kind of, you know, they get thick skin and they just live with it. I mean, do you see that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of clients I work with uh, are quote unquote caregivers. Um, and not necessarily in the sense that if you would think, but people that tend to kind of put forth a lot of effort into people around them, which sounds really great. Um, the difficulty with that is it can build up resentment for them, right? Because they they have this desire to give, but they might not be receiving because it becomes so oh, yeah. so cyclical yep. in the relationship that they're doing. So, so I do have a lot of couples that say, "Hey, I do this for you. I do this for you. I, you know, but I don't feel like I'm getting love back." Um, and then I I actually talk to that, and not not that this is is always perfect, but talk to that person who's the caregiver and say. What are your boundaries? Or how are you communicating what you need? Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but this long short well, of it. It just, it just seems like I, I, I've known couples in the past. Matter of fact, I'll give you an example of a woman. She, she was the DON at a hospital that I worked at. And professionally, she was a bear cat. I mean, she didn't take crap from anybody, right? Very independent, very forthright, you know, very smart. I interacted with she and her husband at a social event, and she was a complete opposite person. She stood behind him. She would rarely speak. I mean, it was it was completely a separate, a different person. Okay, so in her her relationship, her marriage relationship she played a completely different role than she did in her professional. Okay. So I'm, I'm guessing cause I'm not a counselor, but it seemed like she was taking a lot, you know, in the marriage and cause her husband was a very kind of a gracious outspoken, you know, bravado kind of a guy and, and she wasn't, but like I said, professionally she was, you know, and she wasn't, she wasn't a bitch, right? She was a very professional person, but she was very strong-willed and, you know, and I'm and that that to me was probably one of the 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 best examples of that that kind of dichotomy, right? Where you have a a, a woman who is this in this instance but completely changes in this instance. And I'm just kind of curious your, you know, gotcha. how, that, how that works. Gotcha. The one thing I'd, I want I want to know a lot more information obviously, but the one thing that you notice with some of those couples where it's really intense is a possibility of emotional, physical, sexual abuse. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's kind of going extreme, but it, it really, as far as physiological and emotional abuse, sometimes it, it's not as noticeable as we might think. Right. Like if someone's to right. say, you do this all the time and you are, you're this or that, right. That's victimizing language that might cause someone to feel, abused in the relationship. Um, and oftentimes with abusive relationships, that person's demeanor, not saying that this is that example, but that person's demeanor can be more protective and more cautious. So, so they, they just, that's their way of responding to that criticism and to that 
abuse, whether it be emotional, physical, you know, whatever, they just, they just kind of, that's, that's what they need to do in that relationship to survive kind of a thing. Definitely. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. You got to mm-hmm. find a way to, to be able to protect yourself in those scenarios, I'm sure. And it's interesting how probably in that scenario, she felt more comfortable in herself at work than she did anywhere else. So that's where she was actually able to have her, her true personality come through and things like that. Where I'm, I, I don't know if you, you see that much with couples. Do you? Because I know that you do um, with some couples individual sessions, and you also do couple sessions. So do you see um, a, sometimes a completely different person when you're in doing the ind- individual session compared to when they're with yeah. their couple? Yeah, good question. <sighs> yes, definitely, absolutely, right. I think that there's all of us kind of have this protective nature within the relationship where. It's not that we're be not being our authentic self, right? But there's a little bit of this protectiveness, either of our partner or of ourselves, in completely being authentic. Um, so, yeah, you will see that. I try to be really aware of that because I'm very focused on the health of the relationship. So, if I have, and this is kind of how the couples therapy works, I'll meet with a couple together, and then I'll have a one-on-one with each of them. Um, to kind of get to know their history and background, and then I'll have them reconvene. So if I notice something within uh, the individual where I feel like it's harmful to the couple, then I have to be upfront about that with them. Um, So it's kind of a fine line in in having both individual and couple. But uh, because of that, you know, I think that they're, they're desiring to emote with someone, to have understanding with someone outside the relationship. So, so Janet, I kind of going back to, to something you said during that question I asked about the, the couple, when does something become abuse? Okay. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, couples get in an argument, you know, names are called or, or, or derogatory statements are made, you know, we'll say that's kind of a normal fight, but, but at what point is it abuse? Oh, that is such a strong question Um, because I do feel like there's a lot of levels to abuse and it's good to catch it before it gets to that point. But as soon as you feel like you're consistently victimized, like that you have no say in the relationship or that you feel constant shame or blame, it's a good indicator it might be leading in that direction. As far as the non-obvious abuse. Well, is it, you know, okay, so here's kind of a silly question, but I I really, I don't know. Is it abuse when one of them says it's abuse? You mean within a session if someone was to say they're abused? Well, no, like, like if, if somebody was to say, and I, I, I don't have a specific, I'm, I'm, I'm saying just because I'm curious, but if, if somebody was to replay an argument they had, um, amongst themselves, a, a man and a woman and say, hypothetically, the man, uh, said something that she really didn't like. And she says, you know what? That's abuse. Is it, is it genuine that it's abuse because she feels like it's abuse or is that kind of a kind of a, a distortion of what real abuse is? You know, because we're our society is so much about, 
you know, if you say it, that's, if you say that's how you feel, then we have to believe that's how you feel. So if somebody makes a statement like I'm being abused or you're abusing me, is it, is it become a reality because they've said it? I mean, does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. No, definitely. definitely makes sense. I, I think I just, I would have to gather more information, right? I'd have to know the components, of the relationship, the history of the history of the relationship, if this is something that's been going on for a long time, or if maybe there's been some big stressors lately where this person is very reactive um, with an argument, and then it feels like abuse in that situation. Um, there's just so many components components I'd want to know. I wouldn't say if someone is like, I feel abused, I'd be like, okay, this is abuse. We need to deal with abuse. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, that makes sense. And I, yep. that actually answers the question. And that's, that just sounds like in general, probably the, the human condition. I think we're so, uh, we just want to be able to even, even the question, okay, what are the four top things that make relationships work or not work? You know what I mean? Even that kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's such a case by case basis because people are so differently and how they even communicate, even effective communications uh, or great relationships that have, you know, stood the test of time. They're all not going to look the same, even the ones that are right. successful, right? right? There's, there, I think there's just so much variance in communication, which probably makes um, Jitta your job on a day-to-day basis just so fascinating. Yeah, it's super fun. It's so super fun. A lot of people don't like couples therapy. Uh, most therapists that I talk to would do absolutely anything except for marriage counseling. And I, I, I get it. It's hard. It's super hard work. But I find it fascinating. It's really fun. Um, I I like to see that hopefulness in people, even when they feel they're at the point of like, there's, there's no return. And you have these conversations and just some doors open that possibly would have, would have never been opened before. And it's just cool to see what happens. I just love being part of the process. It's really, really fascinating. Well, that's a, that's a great, I have so many great things to say about you. Um, you know, uh, the only really time that I could ever, um, feel like I had anything close to a panic attack was the first time that I, (laughs) first time you, what you met her (laughs) talk about heart palpitations. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jenna, but actually, Jenna, did you perceive when you started to get to know Carter? Are we at the monkey moment? Yet? I mean, we're all friends here. No, not yet. But did you perceive this this anxiety that he has? I mean, did you perceive that at all? Oh man, that's such a good question. Wow, it really put me on the spot. You know, no, not at first. But knowing Carden now, I know why. Because Carden, sorry, Carden. Carden is more of an yep. internalizer, right? So right, he right. will internalize to the point of causing himself distress, right? And he's really good about not showing that. So I don't think initially, of, of course, I don't think I noticed it at all. Um, but in getting to know him, having more um, reality with him, you know, it became more apparent for sure. I have no yeah. emotions about that statement. <laughs> 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 but he does have anxiety about it. <laughs> well, I just, you know what? I, I'm, yeah, I'm very impressed because I, I, you know, I've been, I've spent time with you guys as a couple and I know that you, you live how you're preaching, you know, Jenna, you're, you're truly probably one of the most kind people I've ever met. And, you know, I can, I can see why you get a lot of, um, 
satisfaction and you know you, that you're effective at what you do because you're perfectly suited for it. Um, and I just, you know, I mean, there's, we've all had examples of people that are in the wrong profession. Okay. It, it, right. You can't yeah, even say they're right. not even successful or whatever. It's just not a good fit for them personality fit. wise. Yeah. Yeah. But I, yeah, Jen, I can't imagine, you know, a better fit for you personality wise from what I know of you. Well, I appreciate that. I, I really do, do love it. And it's, it's fun to learn new concepts and it's nice to meet different people and see how they function and don't. And I, I wish, I wish you could be a fly on the wall. It's just, it's really, really a, a fun job. It's hard. It's, you know, you hear a lot of sad stories, you see a lot of sad things, but it, it's cool to see some hope in there too. So I appreciate that. Well, yeah, actually, okay. uh, yeah. Oh, do it. Ahead, well, I was oh, going to wow. say, was that, <laughs> you know what you're doing. Well, that is our, that is our one hour, but obviously Jenna, if you're game, we got to have you back on. Cause this is, yeah, you know, this, this yeah. could potentially be a three hour podcast for sure. Um, yeah. there's a, there's a lot of things. So it, 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 it's been awesome, but this is that point in time. Yes. Garden. Well, uh, the- I, well, I was going to say, we, <laughs> I think Jenna expressed interest in making the monkey noise. For this oh, awesome. yeah. let's, let's see if she's as good imitating primates as she is counseling other primates. <laughs> so I don't know. I have to be like pretty neutral, right? I'm neutral grounds. It has to be like really like. Oh, you, just, uh, you do the best you, you can, girl. It. You just go for it. Ooh, ah, ooh, ooh, ah, ooh, ah. Oh, see what and I what I heard you ooh was that I respect your ooh. Your <laughs> I mean, I respectfully I understand where you're coming from, but shut up. Yeah, yeah, yeah I hear you. Wasn't oh, that a song? Bing bang. It was. Yeah. It was very good. Sorry, it was a very convincing monkey. That was a very convincing monkey. Monkey. I mean, yeah. are we in the are we in the jungle? Yeah, we are. I mean, it's, oh my god! Well, what that was a cue was for the the monkey moment, and we we have a tendency to ask our, our guests this. And Jenna, if I have talked about this a ton, but I want to hear you actually say it. If the ship came down, aliens open up, and they say, "Jenna, come on, we're taking you to planets you've never seen before." Are you jumping on? Are you going? Only if my family could come with me, because I don't think I could ever leave the boys, to be honest. So if they're like, hey, just you, we'll, we'll bring you back. I'd probably say, yeah, no, probably not. That's weird, because when Cardin was asked that question, he didn't think of his family at all. Yeah. That's not Drudge at the best. I think I think we need to explain that, Cardin. Why, why the- is Jenna so, <laughs> so you know, well, willing uh, not to leave her you know family? That's you couldn't really, get out of town fast that's really, enough. Let's really dissect your response here. Because she said, I don't think I could ever leave the, <laughs> leave the boys. boys. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and exactly. I have two monkeys with me that want to say hi really quick. Just throw little names out there. Go ahead, Mark. Say hi. Hi. Go ahead, Kessler. Well, Hi. Hello, Mark. Hi. Hi. Those are our little, those are our real monkey yeah, boys right potty. there. Why don't you go Both potty? Those little guys. They sound so cute. Now I know why she wouldn't want to leave them. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. Yeah. Uh, sounds can be deceiving, Blair. Sounds can be deceiving. <laughs> well, that's a, that's actually a perfect cue. I think it's bedtime around the Moore house. 
Oh, well, that that is awesome. Well, Jenna, thank you, thank you very much for um, your expertise and taking the time to come on. Thank you for very having nice me. To have you. Yeah, thanks, and I, I uh, look forward to hearing more from the Pondry Monkeys in future podcasts. <laughs> well, we look forward to having you back. I can tell yep, you that. Definitely, definitely have her back. She'll, uh, um, she'll have to. There's no way she won't. She's kind of connected to us now. Good, good. <laughs> yeah. She'll be our, she'll be our, our local. Uh, and, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hot mic, hot into mic. the mom, into the oh, yeah. Uh, that's all right. <laughs> well, Carton, that wraps it up for this episode. Uh, episode eighteen in the books, buddy. Yep, that does uh, wrap it up. And and don't forget to uh, reach out to us with some feedback. We'd love to hear from you at uh, Instagram as pondering underscore monkeys. So go ahead and, and drop us a note or follow us and uh, ponderingmonkeys at gmail.com. You can send us some some questions or some feedback, anything. We just want to hear from you. That's what it comes down to. Absolutely. And if people have ideas uh, for future episodes, I'd like to hear. Uh, let us know. We'd be glad to hear it. Until next week, I bid you adieu. Good night, Blair. Good night, Carden. <laughs>